If Reality Check Radio enriches your day and life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. Welcome back to Greenwash with me, Josh Preet, and Jill Booth is back in the house. Welcome, Jill. Hi, Jess Preet. Hi, Don. Hi, listeners. Hey. Yes, <laughs> and it has been fun. It's been a hard Good. year, but it's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> She's a hard case, hasn't she, uh, Jill? Always got a smile on her face as, uh, as Jill. Um, sorry, I got that round the wrong way. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, uh, yes, you know I know. What I mean. They do know what you mean, and Jill certainly knows what you mean. <laughs> yeah, this is going to get messy with the three of us. So yeah, yeah, it's going to be <laughs> going to be an interesting, um, interesting yarn tonight. It is. It is going to be an interesting one. Right now, before we uh, go on to our guests, as as I usually want, uh, Don and me, we will today be tackling the last two sustainable development goals that we have left on the table yet to be discussed these are sustainable goal number 16 and 17 don and i will follow that up with a couple of other guests but for today we've got jill in first first in first out and we let her free for the holiday festivities right jill sooner that's right i don't know if there'll be too many festivities i've got children home it usually means hard work and um dishes and cooking so yeah so goal 16 is the is the to promote peaceful and inclusive societies for sustainable development, <laughs> provide access to justice for all, justice for all, and build effective, accountable, and inclusive institutions at all levels. So wow. my translation to this one is strengthen police states everywhere, institute pre-crime departments and RFID chips to track everyone, while giving tax breaks to organisations that promote certain government agendas via hiring policies of their product or services. Man, aren't you a laugh on a Jill? Gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's coming into Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, what I hear is this is anything but justice. If we have looked around and uh, I'm I'll give you some time here, Don, to talk about your personal anecdotes with justice and crime over the last couple of years, what you've seen, what you've witnessed in terms of crime statistics. But looking at the amount of RAM raids, unless I'm mistaken, the increase was over 600% in the last couple of years. Looking at everything, thefts, homicides, robberies, assaults, everything seems to have gone up or even if it hasn't, I certainly know a lot more people are feeling unsafe. And for many, this is a novel experience because New Zealand is supposed to be, you know, a laid back place. Nothing really happens. We are quite chilled out people. But that's not the way it feels now, Don, does it? It's It certainly doesn't. And uh, all through my life, I've respected the property of other people. I don't have any want to desecrate the property of uh, somebody else or damage it or invade the space of other people un uninvited. But it seems par for the course now. You can just trample through people's property, walk over their property rights, and someone will sort of defend you almost. And, you know, when I looked, and because I haven't followed the SDGs that well, but I did a little bit of study tonight, and it talks about uh, 2021, this is worldwide and in the UN report, the highest number of intentional homicides in 20 years, 
458,000 lives lost worldwide. Nine and 10 victims were male. And they go on to talk about um, conflicts and they go on to talk about trafficking victims and a whole lot of stuff. None of this, in in a New Zealand sense, none of this should have any relevance. Any relevance. We should Mm -hmm. be living in a really civil society that... While there was always a few issues, when I was a kid growing up, it never, and even a young adult, this stuff never raised its head like it does now. If you had one homicide in your region in two years, it was the talking point. Now things seem like normalized. Now, what's the reason? Um, To me, we've weakened the institutions of everything. Um, everything's got rather lame to use a lame term um, and we're very soft on everything we're soft on everything uh, that we shouldn't be and we have people trying to uh, almost you know they're blaming us for their victim status I mean it's it's a it's a weird it's upside down everything is upside down to the way I remember it and as, as Jules just said the surveillance state is a big problem. We don't need it. We should be kicking it down the road and we should be making sure that the institutions that I grew up with, the the, the idea about the respect for the property of the individual is paramount. End of story. Yeah. Enforce it. Enforce mm-hmm. that. And we'd have no problem, surely. And respect for life. But unfortunately, too, this is, again, that, that comes straight out of the socialist Marxist playbook of, of creating a problem that you know, making a mountain out of a, out of a molehill. So, crime has been grown. Um, our, our judges have been, our left wing judges have been put into place. Our left wing court has been put into place over over a number of years since the mid seventies. So, so they've grown crime, but a lot of our prison system too is under Serco, which is a private company, and and a private company depends on profit, which depends on repeat custom. So we under all the guise of doing good and all the soft, touchy-feely stuff we do within our um, criminal system, it's not actually making good inroads to not have repeat custom. Mm-hmm. And I, I've got family in UK and in uh, US, in California specifically, and speaking to both of them, uh, you know, uh, family members in these places. So in London, I was told, you can no longer just walk across, even in certain, uh, you know, uh, better areas, well-heeled areas, just say reading your uh, iPad or your iPhone or going past because it'll be stolen. There is, It is just happens all the time. I was told mm-hmm. you you put your phone away somewhere secure. And I was like, that's beginning to sound a bit like Delhi. And then I heard the similar story from someone in California. Again, that the amount of homelessness, the amount of just crime and uh, just people out there making a fool of themselves at times, exposing themselves without even being worried about any repercussions, exposing themselves in front of young children. This has happened to uh, friends there. And one wonders, well, what the heck is going on? Meanwhile, all of this just goes on as if and the police don't seem to do anything. And yet last week came the report out of the Independent Police Conduct Authority on the uh, conduct of New Zealand police at the 2022 parliament protests and found that the New Zealand police used excessive force in multiple incidents. At that time, over 2,000 complaints were filed against the police in respect of the process 
and the protests, but uh, about 21 were deemed, uh, you know, worthy enough to carry forward. And they found about six of them were uh, upheld. So where are they focusing their energies? Yeah, yep. it doesn't seem um, doesn't seem right. I mean, I you know, for, I, I wasn't at the protest, but it uh, clear from the photos I saw and the, the videos I saw that um, there seemed to be some tensions that were perhaps incited by the boys in blue, mm. and um, and to have only six uh, cases they considered. Uh, worthy of serious investigation did seem a little odd but hey as i said i wasn't there i'm hoping that this story will yeah either come to its conclusion um with legitimate commentary or yeah i'm waiting for the people that were at the protest to stand up and sort of say no that's not right we're not gonna we're not gonna have that or or are they just going to accept it what's going to happen i don't know but um it it did seem from the video I saw that the police uh, did uh, exert a lot of force. Now I accept there was a lot of tension there, um, and but the other thing that gets me is were there police stooges in there inciting? Were, were the mm. people inside creating problems? I don't know because that's the rumor. So I haven't read the report, and and I'm sort of being blindsided by this question. But um, um, let's hope something comes out of it that makes sense. And they want us to believe that we have peace, justice, and strong institutions. I, you know, nearly a decade ago, I was a literacy volunteer at one of New Zealand's largest prisons, the Vicaria prison, when we were working not too far. And was it three years ago that I saw part of a block where I taught at one time, go up in flames with the riot there, prisoners rioting in Vicaria? And I remember looking back and thinking, nobody's doing anything. There seems to be literally nothing happening. How does how do things get that out of control? Because at one point, for one day a week, that used to be my workplace, and uh, it was, yeah, it it a shadow ran down my spine, thinking of you know what is going on, and yet we seem to have uh, you know cops available for force against protesters. I remember during COVID different uh, places, cops coming because there's someone's not wearing a mask or something. Peace, justice and strong institutions. Yeah, well, we have another thing coming there. Well, a lot of our institutions have been absolutely weakened over my lifetime. Uh, you think of what we considered our institutions, um, property rights, basic freedoms, you know, right to free speech, all that sort of stuff. How they've been interrupted in the last three to ten years yeah you know, it wasn't just the last three years it was a slow creep but the last three years it's been unbelievably um speedy the way that our institutions have been eroded and um you know i never forget the former prime minister's um acceptance speech or victory speech on the night of the 2020 election she talked about all the uh just just transitions being kind the well-being all that sort of stuff right out of the um the uh, Biden playbook and uh, and the old Klaus Schwab's um, playbook. So it was all there for us to see. Uh, but apparently, for those of us that bought it out at the time, we were we were the crazies. We were the crazies. Well, what worries me with anything anything being involved, um, the word justice um, and the United Nations just you know are, are oxymoronic. They they don't go together at all. Just you know, the United Nations is one of the most corrupt organisations on the face of the planet. 
Um, and their, their big sculpture outside their buildings in Manhattan um, is, a, is a revolver with a, with a knot in the barrel. And it worries me that the United Nations want to, under their peace justice thing, um, they want to disarm everybody. And you know, and th- that that is very, very dangerous ground for any country. You know, we've got a long history about disarmament in countries, but for the UN to bring their form of, of peace and justice um, to New Zealand, that is something that is coming for us too. And the you know, others, and yeah, the, and they yeah. they should yeah should never be allowed to happen. No. And the other thing there is, is as with any dictate that comes down from the UN, there's an aspect of cultural Marxism that comes into it. So looking at the Aotearoa People's Report and their commentary on SDG 16, the one we are discussing right now, it's again about the ethnicity of people who are in jails, the ethnicity of who are being sentenced and so on. And uh, that that is very worrying because... Police as one institution, I would have thought, would be colorblind, would be neutral, because a crime is a crime, and it has a victim, it has a perpetrator. But suddenly everything is now, we've got judges who are now handing out some sentences that are uh, raising eyebrows, even for someone like me, who's yeah, you know used to seeing a bit of crime around in India, because uh, people are getting what uh, cultural letters being written, and suddenly a certain amount is being uh, wiped off their sentence. There's talks, we've heard Green MPs talk about the fact that, you know, we need to do away with prisons. They don't do anything. But pray, spare a thought for the perpetrator. I mean, Don, I know you've not been, uh, you've you've had theft and burglary. It hasn't been serious crime, thank goodness. But uh, they seem to think uh, you just have a talk with the perpetrator and everything will be well and good. Let's have a, be mates again. Yeah, it's interesting. I did think um, of going along to the restorative justice uh, justice day to um, meet the perpetrators until I got the letter from um, the detective, and it was in my spam file for a week, so I didn't sort of see it straight away, so he's probably a bit miffed. He signed himself off, he, uh, him, <laughs> and then it, then, it, then it had a whole lot of logos underneath it that don't add anything to my life. I couldn't care whether the guy was gay or the policeman are gay, but I don't need to have a rainbow um, um, uh, under under a letterhead for me or at the footer. So I just thought, no. Nah. And that so that made it for me. I didn't, there was a point where I did want to go and face these perpetrators. And then I thought, no, I am not giving those people the dignity of seeing my face. I've seen theirs because I saw it on my video. Mm-hmm. I don't need to see them uh, face to face. I want them to suffer the consequences for a long time in prison, which I think they have had. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you know, the first burglary here was um, there had to be a whole lot in the ring, perhaps five or six on the day, but they got one person, gave him three years, three months. Um, he'll be out by Christmas this year. Uh, why didn't they give him? If there was 10 perpetrators, but they only got one to put his hand up, why didn't they give him 33 years, 10 times three years, three months, uh, or thereabouts? That might have made the other ones squeak. But no, one person takes the rap and the others get off to keep going with their crime spree, which I'm sure they will have done. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, Don, that you, you know, you say you saw them on your on your camera. And again, too, you know, with the growing crime, 
um, rates we have, and, and so many more people now have private property cameras mm-hmm. and um, doorbell cams and all the rest of it. But that, that again, sends us into the trap on the other way that this is absolutely more digital data collection. Mm. You know, yeah, we've so, got to go. We've got to do this to to, to keep secure. So, so we had a we had a talk with a couple of policemen the other day that came into our community board, and they want to put security cameras down the main street of my town um, because our our local policeman might be forty minutes away, and and their re- rationale and reasoning behind this is that it is to keep us safe. Now I'm a photographer, and all all a camera does is record a moment. My camera has never kept me safe in my life, you know, and and when it comes to crime, a camera will only pick up the an our area, basically, that whoever is travelling through, going to the crime or coming from the crime. So it will only record that on a number plate scanner. And and this whole um this whole keeping us safe thing with, with facial recognition, digital cameras. Um, yep. Right through our town, just feeds the whole Chinese or, or that industry, a massive industry of of taking away your privacy. Well, look, I understand your argument there, uh, Jill. I I am uh, into voluntary surveillance of my own yeah. property, um, so I don't I don't want this data to be shared with anybody, and, and that's why I'm anti the um, surveillance cameras downtown in our city because uh, the two point four or two point eight million they're going to spend shouldn't have to be spent if you had a civil society. If people had the respect for the property of others, um, you wouldn't need any surveillance cameras anywhere. Now, I have them in my property because I do want to know, uh, even if someone's coming to visit me legitimately and I'm not home, I can see yeah. them. Um, that, But that's for me, it's a voluntary um, use. Yeah. It's when it's around a coercive surveillance um, regime, I just can't have it. And of course, I know that's the fear of uh, people that, worry about even better like five and six and seven generation uh, internet um, uh, power uh, they just worry about it being all too uh, pervasive in their lives and yeah I understand yes. that yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm all for private businesses and you know in our main street for having surveillance cameras and then if the if the security cameras and then if the um if something happens the, the police can have access to that Yes, you know, but these these ones that go straight back to a massive database at a police station somewhere are a very dangerous thing to have. But that's their way of wanting to um, get on top of the, the crime problem that they've already grown. Yep, you yeah, know, so the like, socialist government so, has grown. Yeah, so go. That's the nub of it. Fix mm. the problem from the genesis of it, and it starts really young in life. Teach children, teach young adults that the property of someone else is not yours. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. Nothing more. Nothing more there. I think that's a good point to move on <laughs> to SDG number 17. And uh, I've just forgotten our uh, number is 2057. If you want to text us or email us at the rate inbox at the rate reality check dot radio. Now, SDG 17 is the one that brings all the threads of everything we've done together. It talks about partnerships. For the goal partnership. So basically, what it's talking about is how do you get private players in behind these, what do I call them, these socialist uh, utopian ideals? And in New Zealand, the way I see it, we see, we are seeing a whole lot of talk about public 
private partnerships. We have, I mean, the Transmission Gully project was probably the biggest example of this in recent times. And boy, was it marred with uh, cost overruns, lack of transparency, always, uh, you know, being pushed back, back and back, not meeting any timelines. All of these, the way I see it is we now have private players into what should ideally be uh, state-owned infrastructure. And if you want to tell me that you have private money into public, into massive public infrastructure projects, and the private players don't want their pound of flesh. Um, yeah. Well, of course, everyone that invests a dollar wants a return. So nobody's going to be doing it to make friends, are they, uh, Jaspreet? And of course, you've just mentioned cost overruns. I think in Transmission Gully, there was massive uh, cost overruns. And just look at the current fiasco around the uh, the Cook Strait ferries and the um, infrastructure at, at each port, uh, how that's looking like a massive budget blowout. I mean, I, everyone wants a rate of return. Um, and whether you like, if, if taxpayers or taxpayer-owned entities can raise the capital and do the job, uh, I think that you're saying that that's how it should stay rather than letting other um, corporate interests in because we know what happens. Crony capitalism is alive and well in the world. And in fact, uh, the argument seems to be that while we think we've got governments, there's a lot of mm. people say we really haven't. We've got corporations controlling the government. So I, I, I'm I, one I of the know. ones that I, I completely agree. We have corporations controlling governments. Governments just seem to be central governments, just seem to be a change of guard. I am now reading from the Beehive release in May this year when it said the government is partnering with New Zealand Steel to deliver New Zealand's largest emissions reduction project to date, with half of the coal being used at Glenbrook steel to be replaced with electricity to recycle scrap steel. This is a classic example, as far as I'm concerned, of public-private partnerships or crony capitalism, as you would say, because this is public rateware money, $140 million that was given to a private player for decarbonization. A player whose parent entity in Australia has a turnover of billions annually. Does beggars believe? How can this be not be called out to be, you know, this is corruption. Those guys well, this, should be paying their own way. But this comes on the back of um, the, the COP28. The, the World Economic Forum has just announced that it wants $3.5 trillion annually to, to decarbonise the world. And that money is going to come directly from us one way or another. It will be filtered through various organisations and PPPs and councils and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, that $3.5 trillion is, is going to come at our expense. A and this is how governments do it. You know, and, and how what our government is doing with decarbonisation and the cost of decarbonisation is going to cost New Zealanders for generations. And most of these uh, players are coming in uh, in either the green infrastructure or in the digital uh, space. So Wellington Council, it rolled out, uh, it's preparing to roll out a new sensor network to collect data on traffic to better manage, uh, you know, evidence-based decision-making. And they are partnering with this entity called Viva City. 
and who will be having all sorts of counts of users. And they say it will be anonymous. But regardless of what it is, that sort of data will be used for something, be it even for traffic pricing, as is uh, being mooted in Toronga and Auckland. So wherever you have these you know, private players coming into public businesses, I I have my doubts about it. And mostly those doubts are not being unfounded. Another example, Don, sorry, you go, please. Well, I was going to say everything should be based on evidence, uh, evidence uh, uh, collected and uh, data, data um, aggregation. And then you make a decision. It didn't matter whether it was back in the old days, we did it on the um, in, a, in a booklet or in a, in a a piece of paper now it's mm. done uh, electronically everything is it should be effectively um researched before it's presented um so i think your only issue really is about who the cash is coming from and who the cash goes to don whosoever puts in the cash they would call the shots wouldn't Absolutely. they how how do you believe that i mean look at this announcement at uh, cop 28 about recloaking Mother Earth. I can't, I won't even attempt to pronounce the Maori name that they have for it because I cannot. It's a tongue twister. So, recloaking the earth, uh, they're talking uh, of one of the largest rewilding projects 2.1 million hectares of New Zealand's uh, native forest to be revived, or somehow now being evidence based that this much we are, we've planted in natives. This one is going to, they've not announced yet, but these sort of things need money, don't they? And there's a well, whole lot of private players that have lined up already from the Tyndall Foundation, the warehouse and other things already over there who will be when they probably using public money there and who will probably be getting some sort of carbon credits or something else out of that. We have had similar things at AgriZero, which is the government has partnered with the private players and, you know, co-ops, primary industry co-ops, and they're gunning for a greater reduction in uh, animal uh, ruminant methane. So each time private player comes in, they have an axe to grind. This is not just purely altruistic motives alone. They are moving towards an agenda, and that's where they come. And going back to the um, the renative uh, pl planting natives on 2.1 million hectares. Uh, if you analyze it, they're, they're talking 12 billion, by the way. Um, God, as you say, God knows where that comes from, uh, but there will be no free lunch for anybody there. But the interesting thing is we've got um, we've got a third of this country in the dock estate. They're talking about um, how deer and possums are denuding uh, those that estate. How about you just fix the dock estate as best you can. I mean, we've got the predator-free 2050 stuff going on. Surely that's all part of the process. But these guys want to go wider. They want to take, by the look of it, land that um, may have been useful for, for farming, by the look of it, and put that into native trees. On top of that, where were they when there was the um, ETS forestry push for pine trees on good farmland? Where were they? Yeah. Uh, look, it's... It's a vexed issue, but there's no doubt you always, as you say, Jaspreet, it's around follow the money. And um, if you have no principles and it's all about money, you will um, take money from anybody, uh, probably your grandmother as well, if you could. 
Well, we've we've already got that, and and we can see that now with the the complete theft of four hundred million dollars and, and counting with three waters. Uh, yeah, and, and 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 you know everybody, I really everybody should get into their local council and just put a stop to this now until until this is unwound. And this is, I don't know the companies involved. I don't know where this money has gone to, but I have got a fair idea that this all comes back to public-private partnerships. Now, there's an awesome little, if people are interested in the subject, and I'm not a business person, I don't understand the language, um, there's the New Zealand Institute, uh, no, the New Zealand Infrastructure Commission, and their, their website is really interesting, and it, and it shows on there the New Zealand um, PPP models and, and how they work. And one of them, and this comes with three waters, the separation of ownership retained by the public sector and financing provided by the private sector partner to provide meaningful risk transfer and management. Okay, Whoa. so it means that they're going to be they're going to be bigger enough to to carry some financial weight and probably not go broke. But if they do, they've got us to fall back on. Hmm. And it means that they manage an asset that they that we actually already own. You know, and and that's that's how public private partnerships work. So. So we we get the ownership of something that we've that we already own, and then we we have to pay somebody to be able to use what we already own. So it's much like renting your own house at, at an unaffordable rate. Right. Yep, yep. And, and we saw it with the we saw it with the electricity company in Dunedin. I think it was Delta. It, it went into a corporate mode, and and all the money got siphoned off at the top. And they didn't spend any of it on maintenance. And then when all their poles rotted out and they had to maintain them, the price for that went onto the electricity bill for the consumer. Well, that's true. But just a little bit of a correction, Jill. The reason a large chunk of uh, the revenue from the electricity company didn't go back into the maintenance to do the poles and wires and update them was that the Welt Dunedin Stadium was requiring significant cash through Dunedin City Holdings. Uh, right. hence, hence the over big payments of dividends from the electricity consumers you paid for the Dunedin City Stadium effectively. Yeah. And you're going yeah. to pay for the repairs of your network for many years to come. In fact, I think the total was to get it back up to standard over five years for $560 million for the networks that were controlled by the Dunedin City Council. So look, um, yeah, that's what happens. That's what happens when you've got um, deception going on in your local community. Yeah, it's great yep. to have the stadium. Great to have it, but uh, the yeah the people that wanted to use it didn't necessarily pay for it. Uh, but the consumers of Dunedin City uh, electricity, including some into the Queenstown area and the wider Otago area, and the Otago ratepayers, Otago ratepayers paid for it, not the users. Yeah. Yeah, completely wrong. It's, I mean, that's staggering. That, it's it's just how it's worked. It happens in many of our big cities. That sort of stuff, where um, there's a holding company that demands dividends uh, from their from their infrastructure assets, like ports and electricity companies. And that one in Dunedin was a classic case. Uh, about as bad as it gets, actually. Well, I think we're going to see a lot more of it, and especially you know, with councils, with councils talking about selling off assets, which they are because they're all going broke. Um, a lot. I can see a lot more public-private partnerships coming in, and, and the eventual just slipping away of of something, things that we've already owned and, and stuff that we've already paid for. 
Well, the, the public-private partnership really worries me because it's you know it's the crux of the these goals, and and everything comes back to the money, and when you go down those holes and look at where it goes, it nearly always ends up at the same place, which is a, a black rock or um, into into you UN organisations or world economic or organisations. Yeah, NGOs. It's scurrilous. Listeners, if you want to have a look at this Pure Advantage program, I'll encourage you to go to the, the website, www.pureadvantage.org. And uh, talking of this rewilding 2.1 million hectares, and you see the players that are there. I am looking at their About Us section, uh, section and it says that Pure Advantage has put in a submission on the biodiversity credit system for Aotearoa and New Zealand jointly with the Environmental Defence Society, the World Wildlife Fund, Forest and Bird, and so on. And there you have it. Those are your private players. Straight away at this point, if that is 2.1 million hectares, the way I, I see it, just going into virtually private hands, they'll be getting the advantage out of this. Of course, we have all sorts of excuses now being given why you can't go, go into Fjordland or why you can't go into uh, Horaki Gulf and Boaties are carrying this algae. But this has been happening time and again. And each time this happens, it happens because your elected representatives have been superseded by unelected people in various positions of power. And uh, we are just left on saying, hey, hang on, what the hell happened here? But by then, the ship has sailed. So public-private partnerships, SDG number 17, you will see more and more of this in the green financing sphere or the digital dystopia sphere as well. There's another little part to this. I'm going to throw this in, Jasper. Sure. Um, you know, because it's the public-private partnership comes into the massive infrastructure, which is, you know, solar panels, wind farms, new highways, bridges and roads. And I... I wonder, this, I, this is just in the back of my mind, how much this is tied into the debt imperialism of the Chinese One Belt, One Road. Um, but like you said, all of this money has got to come from somewhere. Yes. And that's and I, I know that I know that um One Belt, One Road, you know, has been touted as a as a, a possible investment for people in New Zealand who are looking to invest in infrastructure. So that's that's another arm. Um, it's another arm of the money branch of it is is this debt imperialism. We get all the stuff done. We simply cannot afford to 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 pay it back. So the asset is is then taken, and, and this has been going on right throughout the Pacific um, and, and other parts of the world too. With with and look at what happens when someone like Sri Lanka defaults. Yeah, they lose everything. They lose everything. We don't mm. want to be there. So, 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 so the uh, the upshot seems to be listening to you too uh, is um, if everything's so convoluted and awkward to understand, then it's clearly not um, as up as upright and 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 kosher as you would want. United uh, Nations and upright. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so. Look, You're get, funny tonight, Don. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Um, and by the way, just going back, I just, while we were talking, I researched that the Dock estate is 8 million hectares. So I hope I'm not making, um, uh, jumping to an incorrect conclusion when I talk about 2.1 million hectares, whether that is part of the Dock estate they're talking or whether it's private land for this um, rewilding. I don't know. But um, let's wait and see what comes out in the media in the next day or two. I may have it wrong. It yeah. still fits in with the United Nations plan to rewild sure. and sure. to 
you know, it, you know, it's all part of it, whether it's done through DOC or whether it's done through through private. Um, uh, with the Goal 17 translation that I've got here, Jasper, I'll just quickly read it out. Um, strengthen the means of implementation and revitalise the global partnership for sustainable development. And the translation of that is end national sovereignty, placing every country under the socio-communist rule of a totalitarian one-world government. Yep. Green yeah. infrastructure, digital dystopia, yeah. all of this, this, this all adds up to this. But boy, have we had some fun uh, translating these goals, Jill. Gosh. Uh, oh, we've done yes, this we on VFF, and I thank you for joining me on the Asia journey as well. Well, you're welcome. Uh, look, you two have done a great job for our listeners. I look, I hope listeners have enjoyed the previous uh, fifteen goals that you've talked about. I it's it's God's work. I mean, I couldn't do it. So fantastic, you have. And uh, look, bad enough having seventeen goals when you look at the <laughs> hundred and seven sixty nine sub pillars and then try to understand all that. Um, no wonder people's eyes glaze over. So look, um, you've done very well. And I think our listeners have been well served by you too. So fantastic. Thank you very much. Right. And with that, we'll call an end to this segment. Don and I will be back soon after the break, but we will give Jill a break for now. Thank you so much for joining us on Greenwash this morning. And thank you, Jill. Back in a moment. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, just like what you're listening to. Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you. So connect with us today.